Thank you for pressing play on episode 123 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and for this episode, I spoke with Ace Von Johnson. He's an accomplished guitar player who's currently playing with L.A. Guns. He's also a voice actor, and he's just a huge music buff, if you want to use that term. So that's why I initially reached out to him, because I wanted to talk to him about his huge record collection that's upwards of a 1,000 records. We got kind of off the rails and took a deep dive into Danzig, Misfits, even Unto Others, a band because he was sporting their t-shirt during our conversation, so I had to ask him about that. We just kind of went in all sorts of directions, but most importantly, Ace is a cool guy, and I love this conversation that I had with him. Hopefully you enjoy it as well. So here's episode 123 of A-Sides with Ace Von Johnson. Look, it's rock and roll! And... Cue music. Hey, I know my freedom. Know my father, he was born a lightsaber. Can't hardly stand it. Cuts me down the middle, then I, I come alive. Yeah. In my Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, no worries. I know you do like voiceover acting, and then obviously like you love horror movies, the rock and roll connection, and then dogs. Yeah, hit me with whatever you want, bro. It's it's your show. You tell me. I'll I'll. Yeah. I've had two cups of coffee and not enough sleep, so I'm ready to rant whenever you're ready. Oh yeah. One thing too with the voiceover acting is like, I'd heard your voice for the first time on like Danko's podcast. It was like yeah. I think you guys did one like right at the start of the pandemic. Yeah, that was actually a really fun talk. I really enjoy Danko on a multitude of levels. Yeah, and like I didn't realize your voice was like as like deep as it is, and I was like, yeah. man, that guy should do like voiceover stuff. And then you <laughs> said you did, and I was like, oh shit, man! It's something I've kind of dabbled in. I've done a couple cool things. I wish I was doing more of it. Um, a lot of it's a bit of nepotism, where it's like some fan or something will approach me and say, hey, man, I you know, love your band. Hey, but I heard you do voiceover and I've got a business and whatever. And so a lot of it comes from that kind of stuff. But uh, I had an agent for a minute and did a bunch of stuff. But it's sort of like a side hustle, I guess, oh, would be gotcha. the easiest way to word it. You know, I might do two or three things every other month. Sometimes I'm getting called all the time. Sometimes six months goes by and, and nothing happens. I should apply myself more. But uh, so if anyone's listening to me talk about voiceover. I, I do a fair amount of it. You know, my dream, my goal, my want is to do character-based stuff, animation. That's uh, actually a, a good friend of mine for the last six years. His name's Jonas, and he's uh, the main producer at Pixar. And oh, wow. uh, he gave me this intense, like one of the most amazing days of my life, tours through Pixar earlier this month. I think it was the first weekend of this month. And uh, in the Bay Area, and then he had arranged for me to have a sort of sit down meeting, powwow, whatever, with the head of casting. And she was like, oh, I've already, you know, my wheels are already turning. And, and I was like, OK. And so we were just having a casual conversation. And, you know, as stories come up, I go into, you know, character, you know, fucking Tammy be like fucking shit. Blah, blah. <laughs> and so she was like, I'd love to sort of loop you in and some have you read some sides remotely, which is, you know, basically audition for stuff from home. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed. So hopefully that works out for you for like movies or animated series or something, because that would just be like, I don't know, badass. Like that's that would that would be uh, upper echelon of things I could wish for, to be honest. You know, I'd yeah. love to do something of that caliber. And then, of course, my friend, you know, I, I, I love this guy to death. And so just to be involved with something like that. I mean, I did some stuff with um, a, a director named Joe Lynch, who's a big horror guy. Um, and Adam Green, another horror guy, and they're friends. I mentioned the nepotism thing, but uh, uh, did the Adam Green guy did he do one of the Hatchet things or something that's, like that? That's, it, and that's then... his franchise. Yeah, Hatchet is Adam's. He created that whole thing with Victor Crowley and everything. And yeah, because uh, I saw some show that he had too, where it was like they were like living in an apartment. Is that what it was Holliston. with two guys? Holliston. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, yeah. that's him and, and Joe Lynch. They're like best friends. And they basically okay. made a, a, a sort of sitcom about their lives as like struggling horror director writers. Yeah. Slash comedy. Yeah. That was that was a good show, but it was real short lived. It's a great show. I loved. Obviously, he's no longer with us, but they had Dave Brocky, Odorous from Guar. Yeah. It's like the sort of fictional monster in the closet. And, and D Snyder was brilliant on that show. And yeah, or even was it Tony Todd? He was playing himself, but he was more like a Snoop Dogg kind of like. Yeah, Tony's like great. I had a manager for a while that was booking a lot of horror conventions. Mm-hmm. And so for a good three or four years, every quarter, I was appearing at all these different horror conventions. You know, they pad them with some musicians and whatnot. I got to get really close with a lot of the sort of horror, you know, actors and actresses and directors and writers and et cetera. And um, a lot of those people are still some of my closest friends. I mean, uh, there's a character actor named Derek Mears. I probably talk to every other day um and uh you know and so on and so forth and that's how i met adam and joe and they're like hey you know hey you should come do this thing or in one instance a casting agent had me come to a studio to audition for a thing for netflix and i walked in and joe lynch from holliston as well was the director and he goes what the fuck are you doing here and i said i'm here to read for you know this character and then he looks at the casting director and he goes send everybody else home we're hiring him Oh, and she man. didn't know that we sort of knew each other. And she was like, oh, well, okay. Clearly uh, you're, you know, you uh, <laughs> talk a big talk. So, you know, stuff like that. But I, I love the horror community. Yeah, great, great set of people. Oh, awesome. Well, that's a good way to kind of like start with the first thing that I was actually going to talk about. You know, Tony Higby, you guys toured last year in your bands, like the Sonic Slam. And you guys like have a friendship going back a ways. And then I know him through like because he's from illinois central illinois where he grew up and so i know musicians from here that know him where i'm going with this was sorry it's kind of like tangenty but uh through doing this podcast i've made some friends and then they've put me in contact with other people and it's i've just kind of discovered that i have mutual friends too that i didn't think i'd have and it kind of reminded me of you talking about uh your voiceover work and running into uh, people through these various circles i was just going to ask like how do you think these people like find each other? Like, are you drawn to these people like like magnets because maybe you have similar interests or is it your backgrounds that are the same or? I mean, I think it, it's a little case by case, but I do think in general, um, artistic types tend to gravitate towards each other. Okay. Uh, I think the predominant, my social circle is predominantly artistic types, whether they're tattoo artists or painters or musicians or actors or comedians. I always preface anything with a, I apologize in advance for the name dropping. I just feel like sometimes most of the stories, and it feels 
a bit name droppy. But for example, I would say, you know, we're all adults. It's too, we're too old to say like, well, my best friend is so-and-so, but like my, <laughs> my closest friends on earth are arguably would say Tony and a, a guy named Ricky Rackman, TV personality, radio personality, et cetera. And, yeah. um, you know, Ricky and Ricky's not what he does some music, but I wouldn't consider him a musician, but he is an artistic type. He writes a lot and he is on stage and, and hosting and doing all these things. And we gravitated towards each other through music. I mentioned Derek Mears earlier, uh, character actor, uh, Swamp Thing, Pirates of the Caribbean, et cetera, et cetera. He and I gravitated towards each other talking about music. Same thing with maybe, again, like name droppy, but like most of the people I talk to regularly that are in the, that field, and I, I say entertainment, uh, yeah. we usually gravitate because of music. All my musician friends usually bond over something music related. And then you expand upon that. Um, Tony is a great example because we've known each other for probably nine or 10 years. And we don't really remember how our friendship struck up. It just became that kind of thing where we would see each other and be like, hey, <laughs> like we were old friends. And uh, I know there's some drunken picture of us like, like post-show, like that, like that <laughs> from maybe 2014. And that's sort of my earliest memory of being like, oh, we're already thick as thieves. And even that seemed like a lifetime ago. And I feel like that with a lot of these guys. But I, I don't know. I think it's just, I think the common thread between all these people and whether it's just a friend or like I have a good friend who's a doctor or a good friend who's an attorney, I feel like the common thread is really just music. And, you know, they might meet me at a show or at my show, or I might meet them at another show. And you're like, dude, you fucking, you like this band? I like that band. We should talk about that <laughs> band. And um, you kind of go from there and then you might go, oh, this guy's kind of an asshole. Or you might be like, this guy's like, we're, we're, you know, we got to hang, you know? And so I feel that a lot of my relationships develop uh, through music. And I love that because, um, you know, ultimately I, I, quick to remind people that regardless of who I play in or whatever the hell you want to associate me with, like ultimately long before all that, just like everybody, I was a fan and I still am a fan. I think that's what sort of unites a lot of people is like, dude, you love Metallica. I love Metallica. We should talk about Metallica and, uh, and then go from there or, or dude, my favorite movie is Beetlejuice. Your favorite movie is Beetlejuice. We should talk about Beetlejuice. Well, that's one thing that I like about you and like Tony and even like Danko and stuff. You guys like wear your influences on your sleeve, like basically. Absolutely. And so because uh, some people are almost kind of like, you know, standoffish or something about what they like or, or they might be too cool for it. But you guys are just waving the flag for everything. I but, think yeah, having a cool. too cool for school, like I'm sure there was a time where being too cool for school was like the in thing. Like, oh, he's mysterious. Look, he's got the mystique and all this stuff. But yeah. You know, in the day of social media where it's like people are doing live streaming from their bathroom and stuff, you know, <laughs> um, it's just it, like, why, what, like, who are you kidding? You know, mm -hmm. um, and Danko's a great example, not only as, you know, he's got this every time I'm with someone that's talking about Danko, we're always talking about there's the guy on stage who's like, fuck yeah, I want a rock show. And then he gets <laughs> off stage and he goes, well, you see the uh, inner workings of, and he, you know, he's just really, you know, he's, in, he's an intellectual and I love that. And then he's yeah. a fan. I mean, he's got, he's written books. Yeah, you know, for sure. Just about the band, but yeah. about, you know, his, his fandom. And I, I love that. Um, I would compare him as I'm looking at a, a, a book of, I would compare him to Henry Rollins, sort hmm. of like a Renaissance man of like 
I don't say jack of all trades, but, you know, doing all these different things like, yeah, okay, you're in a band or you're, you know, I'm in a band and I love it. But like beyond that, he's writing and he's got the, he's got, he's got two, two or three podcasts, yeah. um, multifaceted. And so I, I really appreciate that. I could say the same thing about Ricky or even in some respect, Tony between different, yeah. you know, working with Damon and brother Kane and Tom and his own band, you know, so I admire that. I admire anybody that can wear a lot of hats as well as just owning the fact that it's like, oh yeah, like you want to talk about, you know, uh, I'm trying to do a deep dive here. You want to talk about Jack Grisham's post TSOL career uh, from <laughs> 1984 all the way to 1991 pre joy killer. We can dive into that. You know, I, I love, I love that. And um, I think that's why Tony and I are as close as we are. You know, I mean, he's the one that turned me on to Danko. I only knew a couple Danko songs from like a lifetime ago i was like oh yeah the, the first date band right i like them they're cool and he goes no dude that's not the right answer and i was like okay okay and then he took me to a danko show and i was like okay i'm in i'm into yeah. it i'm in and off we went you know, I mean, again, like I said, like, why hide it? Everybody loves music or film or comedy or writing. Uh, you know, you have a, a library of tapes or vinyl or books or CDs or. Yeah, you got a lot back there. Yeah, I'm, yeah, there's about 12 or 1300 records behind me. You know, like, why would I be like, oh, I don't really not really into the whole music thing, man. Just, yeah. Whatever. You know, I think it's I don't like the pretentiousness of it. And obviously, when you're on stage or you're you're portraying the character that you are as you're slashed with a top hat and you're on stage and you're in the solo mode that's the sort of character that we're all portraying but then there's the other like 22 hours out of the day or six weeks out of the two months and you're just some guy that likes to play records or play guitar or talk about sports or whatever and so i think it's it's a little more humane to just be like yeah i like that i like that a lot that's what i'm into and rather than be you know too cool for school how i said that there's like gatekeeping and not gatekeeping Here's a thought I had that popped in my head. I was like, you guys are like the Walmart greeters of heavy metal. Because you're like, come on in, guys. Here's a cart. Here you go. Uh, in private, I think everybody gatekeeps a little bit. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, this is something special to me. And this is my favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, prime example, I was talking to somebody recently about the band Ghost. And I was like, yeah, I was really, really into them. I still am. But I was really, really into them on the first and second album. And then they blew up. And then they went from playing, you know, bigger clubs or theaters to playing arenas. Yeah. And I went and saw them at an arena show. And I was like, this is so great that everybody's so into this. And I was kind of like, well, it's no longer like my little thing. You know, it was yeah. like, you know, my niece is 16 and her schoolmates are listening to them. And that's great. <laughs> that's nothing against that band that just yeah. made it where I was like, oh, this is no longer not to gatekeep, but like it's no longer sort of unique and special and like uh, cult you know, and that's a good thing for that band and for the fans and for all that. I'm not condemning that at all, yeah. but it just sort of took away. There's plenty of bands still, you know, 25 plus years of being a fan of music where I'm still going, have you ever heard this album? And people <laughs> go, no. And I go, that album's 45 years old and you've never heard it. You need to hear this. And then it's like, those are those special things. I get that. But you can't gatekeep Iron Maiden. You can't gatekeep you know drinking water you can't gatekeep heavy metal as a whole like these things are just embedded in pop culture and society so i think there's 
there's a difference between being like, oh, this is my favorite thing and it's important and special to me. And then like, well, if you truly love it, you've got to sort of let it go into the ether versus <laughs> just you see these people that are just sort of dicks and they're like, well, you know, name three songs. And it's like, yeah. why? Like, you they know, were only good on their first album or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah. it's okay to protect the things that you're that are dear to you, but I think you should also accept that other people might also find those things dear to them yeah. or want to embrace them. And that's a healthy way to look yeah. at it. It's like, well, it was important to you. You know, no one should be hoarding these bands, you know. And of course, I yeah. say there's albums out there that, like, you know, I'm running into people that they've never heard these albums. I'm the one going, you need to hear this album. You need <laughs> to listen to this. You need to buy this record. Hey, yeah. I've got I've got three copies of the first and only Tough Darts album. You need one. So again, I guess that's really not gatekeeping. That's the opposite. But yeah, man, um, you're like, um, I said Tony was like the saint of like record collecting because he's even given you stuff too. Oh yeah, so. we we. You know, if I am a mutual, we scratch each other's backs with that all the time. He gets me a lot of stuff because, you know, he's I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. He's about, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Maybe he's a slight generation older than me. Let's just say that. And um, so he gives me a lot of stuff from the 70s um, that maybe he picked up on when he was a little boy or a young man that I completely missed like Bad Company and and an early Elton John record, some stuff sort of going back to that, that I would never have touched even as a young man. And then for me, I'm the one sort of like leaning into the the punk, because I'm, I'm a punk rock guy through and through, when he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually have any social distortion, but I love them. And I was like, well, let's get you. So I ordered him uh, White Light, White Heat, White Trash, um, which is probably their first or second biggest record, and second biggest record maybe they're heaviest. And so I was like, yeah. And he was like, dude, I fucking love this record. And I was like, there you go. See, so a lot of, a lot of that, but he, you know, he turned me on to Danko and he didn't turn me on to the helicopters, but he kind of like shoved them down my throat enough to where I sort of was like willing to read, <laughs> but I liked them, but I was like, yeah, you know, I have a CD and he was like, no, you need to listen to them. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. So, you know, we, we do that for each other, but you know, that's what friends are for. Figured from like the Danko thing I was listening to, like figured we're in the same age group, but the guys I know who know Tony, I'm not sure their age either, but they're in the Kiss generation, but we're kind of more in that kind of like late 80s, early 90s kind of correct era. Yeah, so I, I came I, of age with a different. Um, I never got era. it. I had to sort of force myself to get into Kiss. I never I wasn't a Kiss guy until I was probably 25. Um, and even still, I, I, I always find myself going, oh, I'm not really a big Kiss fan. And then I look back and I go, well, I've got eight albums. So I guess <laughs> prior 20 years old, I had zero Kiss. And at 21 or 22, I remember buying like a best of on CD, just, yeah. you know, might as well. And uh, kind of went from there. And it was mostly because I was I've always been a big Alice Cooper fan. And I think I oh, finally kind of oh, awesome. gave up it, it in my mid twenties as I was sort of letting go of my punk rock uh, and getting into more, let's say, rock and and hard rock and metal and stuff. And I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right, Eric Singer, I get it, I get it, I'll I'll give it a shot. And then now I'm a I'm a casual fan, but yeah, that's totally Tony's like got the entire discography and you know Jap imports and yeah, you know, <laughs> this that and the other, you know, every thing. He's definitely a diehard fan, and then. The first albums I bought with my own money were like, you know, Green Day, Dookie and the first Bush album and Nirvana and all that stuff. And Metallica Black album, some heavier stuff like Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger and that kind of stuff. 
and then was all over the place. So even from 11 to 14, still to this day, but from 11 to 14 prior to getting into high school, I didn't know what a genre was. I just was like, oh, I like Beach Boys and Black Flag and Cannibal Corpse and Metallica. And everyone's <laughs> like, and, and Beastie Boys. And everyone's like, you can't like all that. And I was like, oh, and Weezer. And people are like, you can't like all that. You have to like only these genres and groups and i was like oh i like the cure also and they're like you can't like that you can't listen to the cure and then put on carcass and i was like but i just did <laughs> and i still do that i did that yesterday i had like Susie and the banshees and cannibal corpse on in the same afternoon i was like because i can you know and and i think that's why conversations i have with tony or ricky or whoever or or whatever it, it are so great because we talk about like you know well yeah fucking Agent Orange's first record was really brilliant and influenced Slayer. I bet you didn't know that, you know, and then you talk about <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And again, it's just all fandom. And and I apologize for ranting. It's all the coffee. But yeah, we're all. Oh, no, it's OK. Man. Everybody's a fan. So that's the cool thing is that we all can appreciate yeah. some form of music. And I'm sure everybody out there, even people that hate each other, have some common thread, whether it's Iron Maiden or uh, Taylor Swift, you know. Well, here was something, too, to go off on genres and everything. I guess I liked Dio Sabbath at first. Then I kind of embraced the Aussie Sabbath. But here's where I was going with this. is I grew up a Christian and went to, you know, Christian grade school and the whole religious background. And then years later, you know, I, I took some like class in college. Basically the whole like way I came to this idea. But I was like, well, all these different sects of religion or whatever, they all worship like Jesus, but his name is different and everything's kind of the same basic principles. But then you've got people that are like, well, I believe this or I believe this. And then even there's like, you know, under Christianity, you've got Baptists and then you've got Methodists and you've got all these different little things. And I'm like, why can't people just get together and just, you know, come together under God, but they've got to, yeah. you know, basically be in separate genres, like we're saying, um, even though it's under the umbrella of rock music. And so yeah. where I was going with the Sabbath thing as I was like, well, shoot, people are killing each other over like religion, but nobody's out there. I don't think killing each other going, well, I like Sabbath with Dio, but you like Sabbath with Ozzy. It's like, we saved that for the uh, blabber mouth comment section. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, sorry for my, no, it's okay. I mean, that was my up, rant there, but it's all good. You bring up a really important topic because, you know, I mean, I wish more people could just agree on their, yeah their common ground rather than spend so much time arguing about what they don't have in common but that's a whole other conversation oh yeah 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 a whole, a whole deeper thing. rabbit hole but um yeah that's a so whole you, other show you were um, saying um green day yeah like the green day records were your first but i thought the black album was your first or was that kind of no 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 black album I, so that predates green day for me for sure um i had a neighbor kid i still have it i still have it back here gave me the black i must have been okay that uh black album came out in 90 or 91 91 so i was nine. seven then okay I so know. i was not eight or nine i would have turned nine at the end of 91 so okay. i was eight or nine so let's say i was nine years old i had a neighbor kid and i was i definitely was in elementary school give me the black album and i knew enter sandman because it was on mtv 24 fucking seven yeah yeah I was getting sort of like what my mom was listening to and what was being sort of not shoved down my throat, but you know, the neighborhood kid giving me the black album and my sister turning me on to the Ramones and the damned. 
and stuff like that, social D between, you know, let's say nine, 10, 11, and by 11 or 12 years old, the, when the sort of, I hate to say grunge, but like alternative music kind of kicked in and then in flux with that, a, a second wave of punk, if you will, Bad Religion, who'd been there since almost day one, but Bad Religion signs to major label, you know, Nirvana kind of punky, The Offspring blew up um, yeah. and all these other sort of bands. A lot of that was what I was going out and buying on my own. I find it funny in a way because a lot of these guys are, you know, people that I've, my my buddy Kevin, I've known Kevin since I was 17. Uh, I used to book his band. You know, we used to play shows together. Kevin is now in Green Day. So, oh, damn. Again, but like stuff like that, you know, I love it. You know, again, being just the fan, but it's like when your friends get cool gigs or, or, you know, ascend in a, in any any field whether they're actors or a doctor or whatever you're like fuck yeah that's i'm stoked for you but it also as a as a dorky fan it's it's fun for me to be like wow this band i loved as a kid is now like my buddies in that band stuff like that always trips me out but going back to the metallica thing yeah that was my first i remember being like this is for me i get this is this is what i'm into and then expanding beyond that which is why i like i love megadeth and i love testament and i love you know death some death metal and and all this other stuff but then i also grew up listening to a lot of punk and i also grew up actually one of the things i don't really talk about is i grew up listening to a lot of um, late 80s hip-hop um like in la uh there was a station called or is a station called power 106 and before i decided i was a guitar music based whatever guy i was listening to a lot of like you know like belbiv devoe and uh was that know, poison yeah and, and tone loke and all that sort of proto gangster rap you know tupac and dre mm. i mean even in my record collection you know i've got snoop i've got dre i've got tupac i've got nwa i've got some of the sort of like essential stuff and then as i got older and i was like oh there's no guitar solo in this it's boring <laughs> you know but i still listen to all that and i i find that the the more genres you include in your musical palette the more the more enriched you are or whatever. I don't know, some yeah. nonsense like that. But it all kind of started with the Metallica tape. Yeah, a little bit. I guess growing up in California, though, like you would, you probably got the biggest radio stations in the country there. So you would be hearing stuff when it's new and fresh. But by the time it would get to me in Illinois, it's got to trickle down and it's got to be a hit on the coast before it kind of yeah. comes I, in there. So, yeah, yeah, you were hearing tons of stuff, probably. We have K-Rock in LA, okay. in Southern California. And, and I love k-rock it's it's really like one of the last sort of you know bastions of of rock and roll and there's this this famous dj named Rod, rodney bingenheimer who needs no introduction i mean in the 70s and 80s he was king shit but he even in the early 90s had this like flashback sunday show and he was playing a lot of punk rock and so i was nine and ten years old I still remember hearing the getting goosebumps, the beginning of this Dead Kennedy song. And I just was like, what am I hearing? What is this? And stuff like that. And I remember when they debuted the very first single from Bush. It was like, no, it was like world premiere, new single from a new band from England. <laughs> And then now my buddy Chris has been in Bush for like 20 years and 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 
super close friend of mine. We talk about, he's a big dog guy like I am. Oh. And, you know, they came through town, you know, come and hang out backstage. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm hanging with my buddy. But if my 12 year old self knew that I would shit a fucking Twinkie. So <laughs> again, you know, fan stuff, but uh, yeah. yeah, we got a lot of that. I, I was really lucky to get exposed to all this stuff. Talking about Ricky Rackman and, and Loveline. I remember bands coming on and debuting music and they would have punk bands on, I mean, Offspring and Pennywise and Sublime maybe and Danzig and all these bands and they, Bad Religion, they would debut their singles on, on K-Rock, on Loveline. And I would tape them, you know? And so I heard a lot of this stuff for the first time as everybody else was. And that sort of steered my uh, musical palette a bit. And uh, it was great because then circling around 20 years later, a lot of these people are my sort of constituents or buddies or drinking friends or whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah. awesome. So you started with Metallica and then what we mentioned. So you were buying like, did you buy a lot of CDs like growing up in your youth? How'd you consume music? A lot of cassettes. And and I'll tell you why. Initially, initially, you got to keep in mind, it was like 91, 92, 93. CDs were just everywhere. Vinyl was a dead format. Yeah. Um, I still have, fortunately, probably 30 record eh, 20 records that i have had since i was in middle school or a freshman or what have you in high school so a young man but we're talking you know maybe two dozen records max some dio some danzig some stuff that now is you know you can't get really for the most part i consumed music on cd but the vast majority was on cassette because by say 1995 cassettes were a dead format. And I was in, you know, uh, 95, I was in middle school. I was like seventh or eighth grade. And so I was like, you know, mowing my stepdad's lawn for $20 a week. And for 20 bucks, I could go down to this local record store and get, I want to say five tapes for 20 bucks. So every week I'd go in and I would just pilfer through all these cassettes and I think at peak, I probably had like 120 cassette tapes. And I still have, I don't know how many it holds. I'm going to say 50. I still have a thing in the closet behind me that holds 40 or 50 cassettes. And I kept the the ones that were like special to me, like all my misfits and some Black Flag and Danzig and stuff like that. And But predominantly cassettes, just because it was a cheap easy to access thing yeah. now if it was a new album from a newer band or whatever a new release and you could only get it on cd then that was the format i would sort of you know bite the bullet on i was like well fuck you know on cassette it's five dollars but on cd it's 16 you know and when you're 14 years old working for you know pennies on the dollar every month it's all you can do so a lot of it was cassette and uh i think as i've moved multiple times over the years I tend to give away a lot of things. I've given away a lot of tapes and I sold like a, a whole box of them. You know, it's like, I don't ever, like, I don't need these. A lot of it was stuff I had either replaced on CD and or vinyl. And so uh, I got rid of it and uh, 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 name drop again, but like Eddie trunk and I have talked about how he's like, Oh, tapes are going to come back. And there are bands on two others being one of them that issue everything on cassette as well. And I'm like, I love it for the nostalgia's sake, and it's a bit of a novelty, but I don't ever think tapes are going to come back in the sense like vinyl. I think, what do they say, last year or this year was the first time vinyl outsold any other format. Yeah. Um, it's also because you've got guys like me that are like, oh, it was issued on three different color variants. Well, now I have to buy it 
three times, you know, so versus a cassette, you're like, oh, that's cool. It's like a little matchbox thing. And and I bought yeah. some stuff like unto others being a good example. I was like, oh, yeah, it's on the shelf there. It looks cool to look at, but I'm not playing it. My records I play. So, you know, anyhow, I'm getting way off topic. But yeah, it started with predominantly cassettes and, and some CDs. And then obviously what digital stuff started around the millennium, I guess, 2000, yeah. 2001, two, three, four. So, and I fought that to the nail. I was like, I'm not, you want me to rebuy every album <laughs> I've got it on tape and CD and I'm getting some on vinyl. Now I got to get it again digitally. So I, I held off. Well, it is the same thing with movies, you know, VHS, then DVD, then Blu-ray, but I'm not doing 4k at all. Yeah. Oh, nah, fuck all that. Yeah. I, it, to me, I'm like, if I have to have it, I'll buy it on iTunes, whatever the hell it is. If I can't stream it on a platform or rent it for under $5, I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. So I'll go without. Yeah. It's like, if I don't have it on DVD, then we're we're going without. When did the collecting vinyl really take off then? Because you said you still had some from back in the day, but when did it really kind of um, become a hobby for you? Probably by my late 20s. I think it had come back into vogue enough to where I'd go into a record store and I was like, wow, there's a lot of records here. But I would still be on tour and I'd come home with the obligatory like five albums of just like random shit that I found for $5 or bootleg Danzig 4 or something like that, where I would just be like, oh, well, I want that. I mean, I've had a turntable since I was a teenager. I've never, with the exception of like moving and being in, in flux, I've never not had a turntable in some form. So I guess it never kind of went away for me. But I mean, my collecting really started probably in my early 30s by 30 or so. I mean, I went from having like two or 300 records that I could move around in, in a couple boxes to... I remember I hit probably like five or 600 and I was like, this is a lot of records. And then now I'm at, um, I think I'm at somewhere between 12 and 13. And then I, the, during the pandemic, I started logging everything in Discogs, which is a great app if you are a record collector or or anything into anything. It doesn't just have to be vinyl. And then I was just ramping up from there. I would say by the pandemic, I was already probably at about seven or 800 records. And then it's gone through because of people like Tony and Ricky and these other people I mentioned where they're like, guess I'm picking you up. We're going to records shopping, you know, Don Jameson on tour together, you know, come home with a big fat stack of records. And I mentioned Danzig and the Misfits repeatedly, because those are probably two of my favorite bands all, of all time. I have the second Danzig album on vinyl, with like the gold stamp promo that I bought for 99 cents when I was in eighth grade and I've hung on to it. And now it's worth like 400 bucks or whatever the fuck you want to call it. But stuff like that where I got it or Dio or like some Black Sabbath stuff, 99 cent bin in the 90s when no one wanted it. And now, you know, not that the Sabbath's worth anything, but to me, it's like, well, I don't have to go buy it again for a $30 reissue because I bought it when I was a kid for $1.50. It's always been there. I mean, I'm a vinyl guy. It's my favorite format. And Ricky Rackman, who I mentioned, he's on tour doing spoken work right now and just saw his show a couple of days ago. And he's talking about sitting down and the experience of sitting down with the record and reading. And like, it's like, you know, it's 12 inches. It's a full, it's like a book and you're reading the, the lyrics and the liner notes and who they thank and who produced it, you know, and now you get an album on your phone digitally and it's like a little tiny album cover and that's all you get and fuck off. And it's yeah. it, you know, vinyl. It's like an experience, which you still get with a tape and you're unfurling it or the CD or booklet or whatever, but vinyl is a little bit more tangible, which is why I personally, I love it. It's like, color variant and limited edition and this one it's a green turquoise but it's got a fleck of black in it from where they didn't clear the plates enough and blah 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 
you know so to me that's more interesting than like oh it's a cd you know so here's a question for you recently i think what within the last year or so you moved from california to nashville right how annoying was it to move all the vinyl and then like kind of reorganize it and everything? Um, it was the least of my concerns. At oh, the time. okay. Uh, <laughs> I, it's been more annoying to have to re so this whole reconfigure this entire thing behind me because it keeps expanding. Like it started yeah. with just this unit, and then I added this unit right here, and then I added another unit, and then there's another thing behind me here because oh, i started getting i started realizing that i had a lot of stuff that was like sealed duplicates and i was like well i have four of this album but only one is open and playable why am i letting these take up all this real estate and just put these away <laughs> so then i've got like my various artists and soundtracks and sealed duplicates and all this other ocd insane yeah. bric-a-brac over here and then all my records that i play are over here so that was more of like, God, how many pieces of fucking furniture do I need to buy and build and obtain and make room for in my office here? Because initially I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have some records in the corner. And then now it's a whole fucking wall. So I was thinking, I was like, do I need to move the TV up so I can add another row? This isn't getting to be problematic. <laughs> moving it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, moving in general is an absolute nightmare. So the vinyl was just one, you know, step in a long journey. Yeah. I don't have nearly quite as much as you do. I've got, well, I just moved into an apartment with my girlfriend. So I went from a second floor apartment to now a third floor apartment. And I've got like, I basically just got four crates of records. So I don't have yeah. nearly as much as what you have, but I was so maybe OCD with it. I would grab like, almost like grabbing a crate at a time was almost too heavy. So I would grab like a little stack and sit on my back seat and then put a blanket on it, grab another stack. And I would just take each stack maybe like 12 records at a time so i took probably like i don't know 30 trips of records that's brutal yeah uh, so, I, did so I did that to myself though i mean i could have probably done it a different way ha had i known prior i'd have recommended just going to target spending 50 bucks and getting a bunch of big rubbermaid bins i bought when i moved it was uh towards the end of 20 so uh there was like a bunch of halloween tubs and then as I got closer to December, a bunch of Christmas tubs and they were all like, you know, like four for 20 bucks. And I was like, well, f you know, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Yeah. And I'd come home with these big Rubbermaid bins. I still in my closet downstairs, this giant stack that's like this tall of empty ones. We'd call them deads on the road, deads stacked that are just empty in each other. And I would fill them with the records, you know, in alphabetical order or whatever. So I could, you know, I might not be able to lift them, but I could drag them. At one point I caved and bought a, like a dolly. And so I would just put them on that. And that was how I was able to transport a lot of them without. Oh, know, smart. Yeah. Fucking them up. Yeah. Dolly them and then bungee, put the bungee cord on there so they don't come off. Yeah. 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 It's, I think a lot of, a lot of my approach to most things comes from things I've learned on tour. So it's like, okay, we're, it's like packing a trailer. You yeah. Know, like, what, what do I need to facilitate this in the most lo uh, logical, sensible yeah. way? back to collecting i was going to ask are you yes or no to colored vinyl or picture discs and all this stuff but i've kind of gathered you just get everything right i'm not a big picture disc guy I, I tony and i have discussed this ad nauseum we we find that most picture discs the quality especially not so much now but like if you're talking maybe five ten years ago some of the quality for whatever reason on a picture disc 
seems to be subpar to a normal vinyl pressing. One thing people don't, I don't think people realize is that initially vinyl is clear. And so um, whatever the process of sort of laminating or putting this picture into it changes the, the sonic or output of the whatever. And, um, but when you get, say a clear color variant with a splatter or it's black or purple or whatever wax, it usually sounds a little better, but I do, I am a big fan of color variants. If it's something I feel I need to have, you know, two, three, eight copies of, I try not to uh, hoard too much, but usually 99% of the stuff I listen to is like, I'm buying it to play it and have it. And we're checking it off a box. I don't need six copies of it unless it's usually like a sentimental thing. Like I will buy misfits Samhain Danzig stuff until I'm blue in the face other than them and two or three four or five other bands it's not a lot of stuff where I'm like trying to obtain every version you know just yeah. too it's too hard it's too hard I mean like you get into a band like Metallica or Alice Cooper or Iron Maiden and there's you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of well there's the you know there's a Korean variant and there's an Australian copy and there's a picture disc from the U.S. and there's a picture disc from Canada and it's just like yeah, no, I just want to play the album. <laughs> so that. I keep trying to go back, even like how we even mentioned before, you know, the space. Like I used to be when I was a kid, like I only want to have as many CDs as fit on the shelf. But then obviously something else comes out. So then I buy another shelf and then I buy another shelf. So yeah. going back to this records, like I wanted to do the same thing. Like, well, I'm only going to limit myself to so many crates. Then one yeah. of my friends is like, hey, here's another crate. So then I got another crate. So then I got to fill it and I keep buying stuff. So where I was going with this is like, I keep trying to do the same thing. I keep trying to put restrictions on myself, but then there's always excuses. So how we were talking about Ghost, I do not need them because I'm only going to listen to one copy. But yeah. when they put out that album last year, I ended up kind of maybe going a little nuts and bought the Walmart one because that was like a Coke bottle clear. Then I bought the Target one and then the Indie Purple thing. And then I forgot that I had ordered one from like Zia Records. Uh, yeah, I like Zia. Already, they had a blue one coming. And then I found out that another one had like stickers in it. So I had to go get this other indie one. And now I'm like eight copies or something. Do I really need that many? But yeah, but you, it, that's, yeah, it, I mean, that's the fun of collecting. You know what I mean? It's like baseball cards. I mean, like yeah. you might have three of the same card because you like that player or whatever it is. So I, I mean, I talking about that specific album. I have four copies, five copies of it. Same thing where I was like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a cool variant and I have it as a picture disc and I hate yeah. pictures, you know? <laughs> so um, I say that, I don't, you know, just, I'm like, I'm not going to ever play it. So I get it. And that's, if that's a band you really love, then fucking by all means, buy all eight variants. That's mm -hmm. also how, you know, a band like that is able to sort of like really clobber the charts where you go, okay, they've got a new album coming out, but if there's seven different variants, you're going to get guys like you or me that are going to buy not maybe not only all seven of them, but I might buy all seven of them twice because maybe <laughs> I'm giving one to a friend or I want one as a player copy and then one to keep sealed. Ghost, they did a box set uh, in December of all their prior releases and I had all of them, but I was like, oh, it's a limited box set of 250 and it was like 200 bucks. So I was like, well, I'll buy it because I'm supporting a band I like and I know that as a as a as a collector, I was like, oh, it'll appreciate in value. And in five years, this will be worth, you know, two, three, four times what I paid for it. So there are times also, and I've yet to, I mean, I've probably flipped a dozen records, but 
for the most part, when I buy a duplicate, I'm just hoarding. I'm going, well, I really like this record. I'm going to buy it again. Or uh, as an instance, earlier this year, a friend came to the house and I was like, hey, do you have this album? No? Okay, here, take, I have three copies of it. Now you have one. (laughs) Stuff like that, you know? But again, supporting, being a fan, supporting the artists that we like. And, um, you know, I mean, fuck, I've got, that like the LA Guns albums I'm on, I've got two, three, four, five copies of them for that purpose. You know, like, oh, you come and buy it out of beer. Do you you want a copy of the new record? Here, take it. You know, same, same kind of concept. Um, you're probably comped a couple too, right? Aren't you? Or something. Not as many vinyl copies as I'd oh, like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's not like in the old days where they'd probably send out a box of CDs to. We got a box of CDs. Yeah. And then um, everything else, uh, you know, I just have to obtain on my own. You mentioned uh, the ghost box set. Was that the one from Revolver? Yeah. That goes along with the question that I was going to ask. Do you do a lot of online buying or do you do like the store buying or is it just whatever uh, strikes you? It's whatever strikes me. Um, I was talking to a girlfriend about this recently about the thrill of the hunt and, uh, you know, coming through record stores. I love it. I'm also a bit a relatively homebody. And so maybe once a month I'll go out and hit the record stores twice a month. I don't know when I'm on tour, anything goes because, you know, I'm in a different city every day and then I'll be, you know, I'll go to the sound guy and be like, where's a good record store, you know? And there's usually one within a five minute Uber ride or walk. I've come home from tour with giant stacks. I've come home from tour with four albums. So it, it varies. But uh, at this point in my life, it's a pretty short list of stuff I really want. I'm searching for and uh, am most likely not to find in uh, brick and mortar. It's mostly stuff, a European pressing of Danzig 3. That's a $500 album. I'm not going to just walk into fucking Steve's record emporium and find one in the bin. So that's the kind of album I go, well, you know, and I feel like setting $400 on fire, which probably never happened. Uh, I'll pay (laughs) and I'll order it from somebody on Discogs or eBay or whatever. But I enjoy more getting it in person think the thrill of the hunt is way more exciting but there's in the day of just jeff bezos and ebay it's like well i could have it tomorrow why why wouldn't i yeah instant gratification yeah i hate that but here we are so i guess i gotta ask you too we've been talking about misfits and you've been mentioned misfits and like danzig a lot when did you first discover like danzig was it through misfits and then sam hain or did you discover one before the other one well going back to the black album thing I'm trying to think. I know, obviously, Metallica did Last Caress and Green Hell on the Garage Days yeah. EP. Where did I get into the Misfits? Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. It is Metallica. I was like, I had a thought here. Of course, I lost it and then regained it in a matter of seconds. Um, a friend of mine, keep in mind, I was in like fifth grade, uh, fifth grade, sixth grade. A friend of my mom's bought me a coffee table book on Metallica for like my birthday. And in all these, and keep in mind, it was like 91, 92. So the bulk of the photos were 80s Metallica. And I was like, in every picture, I was like, someone's wearing this Misfits band. And I was like, wait, so this Fiend Club has this skull on it. And then Cliff Burton has that skull tattooed on his arm. What the fuck is Misfits? What is this? And I went to a record store and I bought Walk Among Us and then immediately bought Collection 2, which came out in 1996, so I had just turned 13. I was raised by my father on horror films. I'm a big, avid horror guy, and especially the classic stuff. And I was like, wait a minute. This band sounds like the Ramones, looks like an evil kiss, and has songs about like Vincent Price movies and 
you know, I want your skulls. I need your skulls. And All of I your just worlds like, collide. yeah, I was like, this is totally, and Metallica covered them. This is for me. And off I went. And as at the same time, I was like getting into punk rock. I remember, and again, this was like pre-internet. This was like when the internet was like the tool at the school library. You sit down and like <laughs> yeah. pull up like post microfiche pre-smartphone. Um, and so there was this sort of light bulb that went off and I was like, holy fucking shit. This is the coolest thing I'd ever heard of. And like a lot of my bands I love at 13 years old in 1995, not a lot of kids were like rocking the misfits. And I also was skateboarding a lot at the time. And, you know, skate culture in the nineties was like just everywhere. And I remember seeing in a magazine, I was like, there's the skull on a skate deck. And of course now I have a bunch of those skate decks. It couldn't have been any more for me, angry punk rock, uh, spikes and black and eyeliner and the devil lock and the this and the that the lyrics about horror movies and all this shit my it pissed off my mom my dad was like oh it's kind of cool like oh there's a song about being a pirate for plan nine okay you know and and so i just uh, it was for me and then i moved from southern from la to san diego going into high school or eighth grade or ninth grade and i met this kid total straight long black hair hessian you know with the like exodus t-shirt and we were totally like beavis and butthead yin and yang and all this stuff <laughs> and he was like you gotta listen to danzig it's the same guy and i was like mother is the same guy as last caress that's not right that's not the same guy and i'm reading about the tape you know again 1996 no internet like it is now and i'm going oh my god it is the same guy he doesn't look the same And then he's like, yeah, Henry Rollins from Black Flag, Rollins band and Black Flag. And I was like, ah, it's the same guy too. And I was like, that guy sings on a Misfits live album, you know? And so it was this weird, you know, connecting the dots of all this stuff. I remember Henry Rollins guests on a Tool album and that blew my mind. Just this weird common thread or like showing my friend being like, there's a dead Kennedy sticker on the guy from cannibal corpses guitar and on jeff hanneman from slayer's guitar these metal guys like punk you know and then when like slayer's undisputed attitude record comes out with di and tsol and iggy pop covers on it and i was like okay so we all like heavy metal and punk rock this is cool i think i went backwards and again with the tape collecting thing i saw sam hain had the same skull as danzig and again pre-internet i was like it's got to be the same guys i didn't understand the story arc but again, I was in middle school and I bought whatever, I think November Coming Fire. And I was like, oh, this is totally the same guy, Erie Vaughn and Glenn Danzig. Okay. And I was like, well, this came out in 86 and Danzig one came out in 88. And this Misfits album came out in 82. So it was like following this trajectory. And as I got into high school and the Misfits re reunited and Danzig and Misfits stuff was everywhere, nobody seemed to know about Sam Hain. And that was sort of my little like, you know easter egg and i was the guy bootlegging cassettes and cds going dude you got you got to hear this you've never heard oh yeah sure you know last caress and you know walk among us and earth ad and die die my darling and you know danzig one two and three but have you heard initium have you heard holy passion have you heard november coming fire and all the stuff and so i was the guy like tape trading you know for the, some 
Dead Kennedy's bootleg for my copy of the first two Samhain albums. And that's still sort of like my little like favorite of the three bands. Samhain's my favorite. Oh, oh, awesome. That's the one that I've probably spent the least amount of time with. They're not on streaming. Um, Yeah, I have everything. I have everything on CD. I have first, second, third pressings of most of it on vinyl. I have all the tapes. That's that's sort of my 50 cent version of my fandom or fiend club membership of all that stuff and it'll always be it's you know danzig puts out stuff some of it's you know okay and i still buy you know i'm like well i need the new splatter variant and blah 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 because it's just always been my favorite uh going back to my high school days i got into i guess danzig and misfits and all that through the garage inc album because we talked about the metallica covers that led to danzig and i think there was an MTV channel, MTV X, and they showed oh, yeah. like heavy metal videos all day. And I came across Danzig there. And I think I might have been like Danzig six. And speaking about stuff not being on Spotify, like the Sam Haynes stuff, you know, what was, what bugged me so much was a lot of Danzig stuff wasn't on like Apple Music. But yeah. now I think it's all back on there now. Finally, it's come and gone. So they're getting them all back up there. So I'm waiting for Death Red Sabbath to come back up and that I was just I'm waiting for that one, yeah. Lost tracks of, which is a great yeah. compilation. And and all the those first four records, uh just Glenn's writing and all that stuff, I think is really I think he gets pigeonholed as the mother guy. Yeah. But really his songwriting from the static age era of nineteen seventy eight all the way through his Black Ari album, Black Aria, whatever, I can't ever pronounce that right. You know, in ninety one and Sam Hain and the first four Danzig albums and even like the industrial album, all this stuff, you know, this guy's got this 25 year career of different genres, if you will. And all these different albums from classical music to heavy metal, to industrial metal, to punk, to goth, to death rock, whatever. And people are like, Oh yeah, the mother guy. I just feel like I'm like, he's just so much more than that uh, as a writer. And uh, he doesn't really get, you know, and, didn't that guy get knocked out on YouTube and yeah. like that? you know, that kind of stuff. But beyond all that dumb pop culture shit, uh, the guy's really a fantastic singer and, and writer and a phenomenon, you know? So I, I feel like he doesn't get his, his due and, you know, director, writer, comic book guy yeah, and all these other things. So again, talking like Danko and all this stuff, he, he man of many, many faces. I appreciate that. So, yeah. Speaking of that, like with Danzig, like, 2000 right i said i got into him so i was diving into danzig then while people like my peers were into like limb biscuit corn you know all the new metal stuff back to that point about you saying he's underappreciated it's like i just never understood why anybody didn't like danzig then at that point you know because he had the first four albums were classics you know i think i think yeah the mother thing i think he just got um kind of lumped in under like a one hit wonder type thing and also i mean they're a cult band i mean they never went platinum or anything although the yeah. first record might be platinum now but they just never really broke and so everyone was like oh yeah mother yeah we knew mother and then the fourth album there was the mother 92 93 reissue on thrall demon sweat live yeah. ep and so the fourth album got a big push after that because of the beavis and butthead thing sort of got up over the next little hill i think think maybe him losing literally entire the entire band between 94 and 96 yeah. sort of was a, a disservice i think had this band stayed the same uh for another album or two maybe they wouldn't have gotten so been sort of like dismissed but 
and I know that when Danzig five came out, cause I was there for that. In yeah. The, the change in like, style. And stuff. Yeah. It alienated a lot of the fans. And um, I think a lot of people weren't really looking for what we used to call nine inch Glenn. Um, <laughs> we were looking for, you know, another Danzig one or three or four or whatever. And although it is obviously a continuation of his sound, it was just a little too hard one direction. Yeah. Um, and it, even for me, I was like, oh, I don't really, I don't know if I really like this. I mean, I don't even think I bought the next two albums until years later, just because I didn't like that one album before it, you know? Yeah. So there was one moment though, that I had how you're saying that basically he didn't break into the mainstream, but the one I did have one moment where I don't know if you're the same way, but I kind of had a, yeah, like a fist pump moment is it's watching one of those hangover movies in the theater. I was born to bring trouble. And they used Danzig, and I was like, yes, somebody gets it. I can't it. confirm this, but my presumption is the guy that did this, because uh, I do a a bit of like library composing and, and, and some stuff like that. Um, and you get these guys and they'll bring in a music supervisor for, let's say a, a film. Actually, that's what I, I mentioned him at a hundred times now, but Ricky Rackman's sister, her day job is um, she's a film music supervisor. She's done some like Tarantino movies and stuff like oh, that. Wow. And you'll get these people that come in and they go, okay, this, these are these, this library or these artists I like, and they're in charge of sort of supervising the, you know, soundtrack. And the guy that did the Hangover movies, I think it was a guy, I think his name is George Draculius, and he worked on some Misfit stuff. And so he had a relationship with Glenn. And so I, I think it was sort of in his wheelhouse to bring in his buddies' bands, if you will, oh, and cool. brought Danzig to the table. And who doesn't like fucking Danzig, right? And so it just worked. <laughs> and then it became not a novelty, but it became like, oh, well, we're doing another one. We got to get another Danzig song. And so I think, again, like pop culture stuff like that definitely helped breathe a little life into what he was doing um, just the same way like Jackass did for the band Him and 69 Eyes and and a lot of punk bands like Minutemen and stuff from Devo and stuff like that, where it was like, oh, we're getting a second breath of air here um, from some outside thing that's going like, you know, hyping up this music. Yeah. And then Glenn started playing again with Doyle from the Misfits and that changed you know glenn went from playing house of blues venues to you know 500 800 people to like 1500 because people were like oh we're gonna get a misfits encore you know and then that sort of paved the way for other things so you know again all these things you know it's as again as a family talking as a fan it's interesting to watch the trajectory of these things because who knows if glenn hadn't had the songs in the hangover films or had he reunited with doyle or or whatever else i don't know what you know what would happen to these guys you know yeah. but it's all for the good i think now oh yeah for sure what would be your favorite danzig album uh, keep going Dan down this i guess of dan yeah no i'm okay i just you know trying to mind my p's and q's here make sure i don't like sound like i'm some condescending critic or something my favorite danzig the band danzig album or my favorite album that dan glenn danzig has done the band danzig what's your favorite? the first record for sure
Rise of One is like every band is its own little sort of chapter. For me, it's like the best album Danzig's done is Danzig One. And then I would probably go with three my in, in order, Danzig One, Danzig Three, Danzig Two, but that could change. But as far as my favorite album that Glenn Danzig's done ever, it's a, it's a tie between Danzig One and Sam Hain, November Coming Fire, the yeah. third album. And then with Misfits, it would be Static Age. And all three of those albums sound nothing alike, which I love, other than Glenn's, you know, sort of croony, punky, death rock voice. Yeah. Speaking of croony, did you listen to that Skeletons album with his covers and stuff? Yeah, I like Skeletons. I like it because it's raw and it's underproduced as well. Yeah. To me, it's the closest thing to, because all the songs are like two and a half minutes. To me, it's the closest thing to like a Misfits album because a lot of them were like 60s garage rock covers. Sounds like almost like some of it sounds like almost like a demo. It just reminds me of like, walk among us in in its in its raw form it's an interesting covers record i mean what lord of the thighs and and yeah. uh what's the zz top cover he does uh i can't remember uh, I can rough boy or something yeah, yeah. yeah i can't remember but uh yeah that and the elvis record i mean they're the, kind of their own thing it's just yeah. him again being a fan and paying homage to things he likes and you can't compare skeletons to how the gods kill by any means so i do have one other little silly question to go with the whole record collecting so hypothetically something happened and there was an emergency and you had to save five records and you had to just grab them and run for your life. What five would you save? I'd probably just grab the Sam Hain chunk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the first two Danzig albums, because I have first pressings that are somewhat valuable. And then the first three Sam Hain albums, because I'm giving myself a bonus here. I have a static age sort of first air quote misfits album on my wall that's signed to me from Franche Coma, Frank, the guitar player who's become a friend over a few years. And he wrote this really wonderful sentiment on it that I'm not an autograph guy. I don't really collect them, but if I get them, it's cool. I have a couple things on my wall that are signed uh, that were given to me or obtained over the years, like Alice Cooper and Elvira and Basil Gogos and stuff, stuff like that. Like the Franche Coma one, I was like, Oh, I am absolutely framing this. And then in turn, He's a fan as well. In turn, I sent him an LA Guns record signed by all of us. And without telling each other, he sent me a picture of it framed in his man cave. And I was like, oh, well, I framed yours and put it in mine, man. And so we had this sort of like chuckle about not knowing. Oh, cool. But my point is, is I it, again, all Sam Hain, Misfits, Danzig related stuff. So those would be the probably the records I would reach for. But real talk, I'd grab one of those bins and I'd grab all yeah. the important records. <laughs> get a good 30 or 50 of them in there just in oh case. yeah i just did an episode on alice cooper because yeah. i'm a huge fan so like when did your fandom start i guess just to ask you about that high school you know like being like oh yeah i mean you couldn't navigate the 90s without watching wayne's world and then everybody yeah. you know you know millie Wake, you know and all that, <laughs> you know we're not worthy you know so it was like all right just sort of like the kiss thing like by the time i got into music a lot of that stuff was sort of passe and wasn't in vogue anymore and but i liked fuck i mean who doesn't love billion dollar babies or i'm 18 or a lot of the sort of sort of pop culture palette and you know poison and stuff like that i bought a best of cd in my teens and then slowly as i got into my early 20s yeah. there was a turning point when i was about 22 23 i think i bought welcome to my nightmare i sort of went backwards and then forwards and you know trial and error like getting like a, a flush the fashion and being like, wow, this is not for me. And then buying <laughs> uh, 
Hey, stupid. And being like, okay, this is a great eighties fist pump rock record. Uh, but it's nothing like, uh, you know, killer or uh billion dollar babies or schools out. And then sort of, you know, again, with like the Glenn Danzig thing, like this trajectory of this guy's career arc. So I have an Alice Cooper tattoo right here. And I think I got that. Oh, no shit. At, at oh. uh, 20, at 20, what did I guess? 22, 23. So by 22, 23, I was like all about Alice Cooper. And then it's coming waves. Um, I'm in, I'm actually in a music video with Alice Cooper for uh, a song from a band called Bisto Blanco, which features Calico, his daughter. Yes. Yeah. And close, Chuck. And Chuck Garrick, yeah. both were close friends of mine. Well, I while the bass player at the time was living in germany and so they would they're doing videos and they weren't going to fly him in just to shoot a video and so chuck called me at one point and he goes hey are you sporting a beard right now and i was like probably you know like this you know and he goes what are you doing in a month and i was like getting off tour and he goes okay i need you to come do some music videos and i was like all right and so i did uh the their feed my frankenstein cover Alice Cooper did. And I was talking about this with a friend the other day. It's not an Alice Cooper song. It's a fucking Zodiac mind warp song. Um, <laughs> I actually had that album on the turntable yesterday. It's on a record called Hoodlum Thunder. Check them out. Such an underrated band. They're sort of a one hit wonder. They had a song called Prime Mover that I did a cover. It's not released yet. But I did a cover with 69 Eyes with me on guitar and Tame Me Down from Faster Pussycat duetting on vocals. Uh, TBA on the release of that, right? But uh, Prime Mover was their big hit, but they had a second album called Hoodlum Thunder that features their version. So when Bisto was hyping up, oh, we're doing the Zodiac Mindwork cover, people were like, Oh, of course they are. It's the bass player and the daughter of Alice Cooper doing the Alice Cooper cover. And they are all quick to fire back going, it's actually a Zodiac Mind Warp song. That record is fantastic. It's got a song called Chainsaw. Such a great song. I forgot what the song on the A side that ends A side. I think it's called Highway. One of the catchiest rock songs of 1992 for sure. Anyhow, I don't want to nerd out, but Zodiac Mind Warp, great band. Bisto Blanco, did a bunch of videos with them, blah, blah, blah. So again, working with these guys, it goes from being like oh i'm a fan of this band to like oh now i'm doing a project with or a, in a music video with or whatever it's always an interesting trajectory to be like oh yeah like when i was 20 i was obsessed with band x and then now i'm in that band or i'm playing with that guy or i did a solo on that guy's album or yeah. or the guys in town and inviting me out for beers you know or whatever so that's again talking about the story arc here as being a fan uh getting to befriend a lot of those guys has always is has been cool a cool little thing you know anytime i go see the band and hanging out backstage cheryl cooper's like hey sweetheart how are you and you're like okay okay this is <laughs> alex you know okay nice to see you all that D die hard fan it kind of seems like he would be the marriage of like the hard rock, the horror movies and all that stuff, you know, kind of like the misfits too. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it ultimately, I was asked recently to pick my five favorite artists of all time. And I said, well, I'm calling Glenn Danzig number one. And I'm just saying his career because I'm not going to do, well, my favorite band is Danzig. My second favorite band is misfits. And like, Ugh. But I was like, let's just call it the Glenn Danzig career. Just like you would with Johnny Cash or Alice Cooper 
where the bands are changing and the sound might have changed, but yeah. it's still the same singer songwriter. So it's like, okay, Johnny, uh, Glenn Danzig, Alice Cooper, Johnny Cash, David Bowie. And uh, I don't fucking know who the fifth one was, but you know, and again, none of those artists are really the same. Are you a big record store day guy too? Like when you're able to go shopping for that, you know, RSD to me is an awesome thing. I fucking love it. I love it so much, but usually to me, every, I don't know, what is it quarterly or twice a year or whatever. There's usually one or two albums I really want. And I would say once a year, I'm the guy that's showing up at 8am in line. But for the most part, I'm like, yeah, look, I'll find it. You know, like there was, I have it. There was an Alice in Chains EP that I wanted. And I was like, well, look, if I show up and they don't have it at noon, then I'm shit out of luck. And if I show up and they have it, then I'll buy it. What about you? You you love RSD? I do. And I don't because I like it, but then it seems like now some of the stuff is like like RSD first. So you don't always have to get it right away. You're just yeah. getting the colored, but then it's going to come out regularly on black or something later on. Yeah. So. It just, it, it depends. Like I said, on yeah. the artist, like excluding, like I said, the Glenn Danzig thing and maybe some in the last 10 years, the only two bands that I've gotten sort of weird about excluding legacy bands like Danzig or typo negative or whatever else, the misfits, et cetera. Um, the only two bands in the last 10 years I've done anything like that about was earlier ghost stuff and then now onto others pretty much anything else now even if it's a band i really like i was like yeah look i'll get it when i get it and if not i don't get it it's not it's not going to keep me up at night you know i mean there's it to me it's just something i do as a hobby and i enjoy collecting it but at, at no point am i like oh, yeah! you know, like i just get some <laughs> fucking color variant i think maybe like once a year am i like fuck i missed out on that and then the other 364 days, I'm like, yeah, look, I'll get it when I get it. And not. <laughs> it's supposed to be fun, right? You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So what is this Unto Others band? I've uh, never heard of them. Do you like do you like typo negative at all? Yes. I would say Unto Others is like if 80s Metallica, typo negative, and uh nighttime era killing joke, which may or may not resonate huh. with you, had a baby in today's musical hard rock slash heavy metal landscape. They get called a metal band, but to me, I don't really find them very metal. Everyone refers to them as a trad metal band, as in traditional metal. Um, To me, they're too hooky and melodic. I just resonate with the lyrics a lot. Like, they're really (laughs) depressing lyrics. Their debut album, you can see right there behind the couch. It says Idle Hands. They were originally called Idle Hands, and then they signed a Roadrunner and had to change the name. But their first album is called Mana, and it's best album hands down in the last 10 years of anything so you know when people like what's a new album i should pick up and it's only a five-year-old album i think it's from 17 or 18 and then now they're gearing up to do another album and then of course you know how it is with social media i've just been annoying the shit out of them and then now sebastian the guitar player and i talk once a week or whatever like i consider him a friend also duality like the fan stuff it's like that's like one of my it's not a sentimental thing but like i would say in the last 10 years they're probably my favorite new band i would say they're definitely in my 20 favorite bands of all time or whatever just based on how i'm looking at my sealed duplicates back there and there's probably like eight records so i have all the albums and then like another eight copies 
of each color variant and you know the idle hands version of mana the unto others version reissue of mana the black version of mana the blue version of mana the don't waste your time sessions on four different color variants you know it's like like to me i'm like going like wow okay i'm i'm really into this band like i you know i'm trying to play it cool too cool for school but i'm going okay i have 15 albums from this band that's been around for six years <laughs> that's uh that's some dorky shit you know and so uh it's definitely worth checking out anyone that's i don't think they're a metal band i think to me they're a little more hard rock but they're always on tour with metal bands. They're actually going to Europe this week or month with Carcass. They keep touring with Carcass, who I fucking love. But Carcass is literally melodic death metal. And then I hear this band, and the guy is this baritone, you know, typo negative E, you know, really down here, melodic, whatever, but chanty, hooky. It's not metal, but I guess it's subgenre. Huh. Anyhow, yeah, on to others. Check them out. I'm going to have to. Yeah, like I'm intrigued. Yeah, I would start with I would start with if you're going to like digital platforms, they're going to hit you with all the big singles. Nightfall and Heroin is the big single off the newest album. I would start with those, but if you're just going to do album for album, if you go, oh, this is for me, I would start with Mana because that album is just what do the kids say? It slaps. That's just my I fucking <laughs> I probably put that album on every other day. And that says yeah. a lot. Like it's on at least two, three times a week. Yeah. What does saying it slaps mean? I'm not even. I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the vernacular of social media era kids, I think a lot of it is. It's like, a banger. I don't even yeah. know. If it's really a banger. You know, it fucks, you know. I mean, it <laughs> changes every fucking yeah. three months. And I try not to fucking get involved in anything like that. I'm still. You know, like the L.A. Southern California guy, like, yeah. dude's fucking awesome, bro, killer. You know, so I I just say that in jest. You'll never hear me legitimately say, "Oh, it slaps." But you know, to each their own, right? Unto others, to each their own. One last thing to sure. uh, give away our age with checking out this band, Unto Others. I'm probably just going to dive into that album because I'm more of an album listener. Same. Yeah, and you're more of an album like listener. It seems like everybody now, though in the generations after us, it seems like they're more playlists or like single based uh-huh. and stuff. Yeah, so, so right. I almost feel like a dinosaur talking to people, trying to influence them. Like how you're like, Hey, you need to check out this album. Go check it out. I feel like I'm yeah. always the same way, but uh, people don't do that. They just want to listen to the. It's because it's playlist. because of this, it's because yeah. of our phone and because of social media, we live in an era where people only their attention span is three seconds. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, click immediately you're you're over it if you were saying i only want to check out five songs i would basically say just go with nightfall or give me to the night or can you hear the rain or heroin almost even heroin to me almost reminds me of like a psalm 69 era ministry like it's very driving and i think that's a killing joke influence and of course like that's metal but like when i hear metal i expect like like and they're not that they're like double bass like or something yeah yeah and they have that but they're more like you know like catchy like you know like hooky like there's even some like almost iron maiden vibes you know like dual guitar stuff i couldn't pigeonhole them i think they're their own thing and that's why i really was like and and i mentioned ricky rackman a bunch of times but he about a year and a half ago was doing a thing on um is it called give me metal it was some sort of platform some app-based platform and he had a show on there and he was doing new music it was basically his version of headbangers ball 
one of the bands he was hyping up was Unto Others. And, and I was like, oh, I dug that song. And he, and I think it was Heroin. And he goes, dude, he called me. He was like, you need to listen to this band. It's right up your thing. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure they are. And I was like, oh, I knew the one song. And I played another song. I was like, oh, this is really good. And I played another song. So this is really good. And then I called him back and I was like five or six songs. And I was like, hey, man, you were fucking right. This is great. And we both ordered the album on Amazon. And we're, you know, like, you know, they have another, there's another, and they used to be called Idle Hands. There's another one. And uh, <laughs> again, fanboy shit. Yeah. But as far as the singles go and all that, I don't like that. I mean, like there are plenty of bands that put out a great single and the album sucks or the B-side sucks or or whatever. And that's every band, really. Yeah. Every band. You know, you can't expect a band on their 10th, 20th, 50th album to be banger after banger. Yeah. It can't all slap, right? You know? So, um, all right, dude. Well, thank you, Ace, for yeah. doing this, going down multiple rabbit holes, Danzig, you know, you name it. Thank you, dude. Yeah, man. Sorry to rant for so long, but, you know, so I, I'll talk about music. Oh, no, it's cool, man. I guess another reason why I wanted to talk to you, too, is after kind of uh, figuring out different things like talking points for this, you're also a big a pit bull a rescue advocate and you really remind me of a friend of mine who i guess tony knows his name's bob long and yeah. he owns a record store or he was like big i think he even employed tony way back in the day he also fosters dogs and like he's got like like he's got i don't know upwards of like 12 dogs in his house at a time and he'll drive across state lines to go pick up dogs and like i guess basically keep them until they got their forever home or yeah. something so yeah it's kind of cool like I, it's, yeah. I don't really want to go into it too much because it'll all start going for another hour but it's something i'm real like i'm a fan of music and record collecting but like you know ultimately at the end of the day it's a bunch of paper and plastic it's it, you know it's replaceable yeah. uh the thing i'm most really passionate about is the dog rescue thing and, and especially pitbull advocacy and um sort of trying to you know undo a lot of the maligning that media has done over the last 20 plus years on these dogs and while of course there's obviously an exception to every rule and you hear about you know whether it's dog related fatalities or whatever else you're also talking about a, a, an instance in one in several million animals and it's yeah. like to me it's like well okay so yeah so this dog bit somebody or this dog hurt somebody um the problem with pit bulls is also it's a it's an umbrella term. It's not actually a breed. I mean, there is a pit bull, American pit bull terrier, an English pit bull terrier, uh, Dojo Argentos and, and all the Staffordshire terriers, which is what Myla, who I'm petting here, is. Mm -hmm. But uh, to say pit bull is, in layman's term, um, it's like uh, it's like saying I'm from Europe. Well, where? France, Germany, Austria, fucking Czech yeah. Republic, uh, Russia. Those are big differences. Well, okay, it's, it's you're European. You know, it's the same thing with a pit bull. It's any dog with a boxy head and a muscular frame. Well, that's yeah. most dogs. So to try to say, well, these dogs are all vicious and killers. And it's like, well, that specific dog might've done that. But what about the other 6 million dogs that are sitting here in somebody's house being somebody's pet? You just want to euthanize all of them, millions of these dogs because of the actions of maybe say two or five. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't compute to me. And then I always go, well, what about human beings? You know, you feel that way about human beings. Whoa. I go, well, it's the same logic. I got beat up in middle school by a, uh, filipino kid and i don't you know look at all filipino people and go that guy's gonna beat me up yeah Do you know what i'm saying so yeah exactly that, yeah. to me it's the same logic and it's wrong 
and that's why i'm constantly yeah. soapboxing trying to be like look man like yeah. you know you know it's all very case by case and i think anybody that wants to malign all of them based on the instances of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage says more about that person than it does the dogs and so trying to undo that sort of public damage if you will because it became uh not a hot topic but it became in the press sort of a like you know pitbull mall's child and then you go to look for the the picture of the dog and there's no photo and it's just like well they just said pitbull because they knew people would get all yeah yeah well, sen- sensationalizing for the headlines and fact sensationalizing exactly and working with some people uh like rebecca Corey from stand up for pits or other organizations across the country over the last, let's say, 10 years. Best Friends Animal Society, uh, choose, uh, uh, Show Your Soft Side in Maryland, um, and all these other groups that are, you know, advocating for not just pit bulls, but dogs, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, Stand Up for Pits is exclusively pit bulls, but it's something I spend a lot of time trying to do uh, as I've, I, 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 not on Twitter anymore, at least for the moment. You know, I'd spent most of my time on that platform for the last 10 years solely networking for animals. And I do a lot in my as much spare time as I have, whether it's in, you know, uh, I got asked last week to do a uh, transport for a dog. And of course, it did. The scenario didn't work out, but I'll circle back to that next month as well uh, with an organization here in in Nashville. I've done a few transports in the last year, you know, whether it's picking up or dropping off or some other thing or you know i mean i donate money every month um various organizations not because i'm obligated to or because i want people to think it's cool but just because i can you know i wish i was a millionaire so i could do a lot more and ultimately most of the people that know me in my inner circle know that i've been saying this for five years but my sort of exit strategy is i want to buy some property somewhere and build some kennels and do phosphorus for senior dogs i just want to bring all the you know like what you got two three four years six months eight months just you know, because a lot of these dogs, the bulk of these dogs, they go into a uh, an animal, let's say shelter or the the pound or whatever you're calling it, and they do not leave. I mean, they leave in trash bags. That's the the reality is is that people are like oh pit bulls, uh, and it's like well you can have your opinion and it is what it is, but ultimately ninety five percent of those pit bulls or chihuahuas, a lot of or any dogs that are going into uh, city shelters. Uh, they're, they, they are euthanized and, uh, and, and it's not, you know, it's not a 10th or a quarter or 25%. It's most of them. And uh, it's terrible, you know, and um, as I, you know, get older and, you know, my priorities change and I don't eat a lot of meat myself. And uh, you know, that's a whole other thing, but uh, you know, I've chosen to sort of throw myself into that, that world of like advocating for these dogs I wish more people were conscious of what's going on because it doesn't really take a lot. I mean, literally you could donate 10, if every single person in domestic America donated $10 a month to their local rescue, we would have this massive influx of what we could do in favor of them. But, um, you know, again, it's all personal preference, but I wish more people would do, as you mentioned, your friend uh, fostering. And if I had my druthers, I would have 12 dogs here. I would have 10 dogs here. It's just, it's a lot of work. I, you know, I'm, by myself here it's not like i have you know a a wife or somebody when i when i go on tour i mean you know uh to sort of pick up the slack so that's a a big factor in it too but i just i wish more people were open to fostering or even networking i mean i was sharing stuff on twitter or even on an instagram account and i was like man you know there's so many people that are seeing this or it's reaching 
it's really only takes a few seconds out of your day. I mean, or even Twitter, you just hit retweet. And for all you know, your retweet might get reached by another 10 people. And if I'm sharing some dog in, let's say, Connecticut or Florida or Seattle, I'm not in that area, but the person I'm sharing it to might share it to someone who is. And so there's been a lot of times where I was aware that some 911 case got pulled and saved or rescued or adopted or fostered. And I was like, oh, I realized that the person that pulled that was from sort of my network. And I was like, all right, that's why we're doing this. And so it's really, it's way more rewarding in private to do that than it is to be like, yeah, I'm in this bad, maybe you've heard of me. (laughs) So, uh, and I'll sort of get off the soapbox there, but it's definitely something that makes up a good part of my day every day, seven days a week, all year long. So if you're out there, thanks. If you're out there and you're thinking about dogs or whatever, I mean, please investigate any local shelter, rescue organization, et cetera, cats, dogs, squirrels. I mean, whatever you're into, they're out there, goldfish you know, birds, uh, you can foster, you can adopt, you can rescue, you can just network. Even like I said, even if you can't, you live in a studio apartment and you can't have a dog, even just sending 10 bucks a month to your local ASPCA or your local, you know, whatever it is, you know, Chihuahua organization that's pulling from kill shelters, even that alone, you get a hundred people that do that, you know, getting to thousands of dollars, it makes a world of a difference. So it's it's really within everybody's grasp to do more. And I just try to encourage and advocate and all these things for more people to do it. Cause I can, you know, I'm doing as much as I can on my own, but I'm always trying to speak up, hoping that, you know, even if somebody from this show, if three people from the show go, Oh, I should do that, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna foster, I'm gonna donate. That's the trickle-down effect that we're looking yeah. for. Well, thank you for chatting with me, Ace. It was a pleasure. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. And sorry to go for so long, but I appreciate your time. Oh, no, it's okay, man. I don't want to, like, I'm sorry I kept you that long. No, it's all good. I mean, I, I anyone that knows me knows if I get on the right topic, I'll rant and uh, put a couple coffees in me, like I said. Yeah. But I'm being summoned by a four-legged critter here that's telling me I think she would like to go outside. So uh, definitely time to probably split, but I appreciate you having me. Um, all right, yeah. Thank you, man. Take care. Huge thank you to Ace Von Johnson for the fun conversation. You can find him out on tour this summer with LA Guns. He also has his own website, acevonjohnson.com, and you can support him through Patreon as well at patreon.com slash acevonjohnson.